You sisters know that my skin has been glowing lately. And I'm here to tell you my secret. Oak Essentials. You've heard us talk about their line of luxurious products before, and we're so excited to have them as a sponsor of OK Sister Podcast because now you can join in on the glowy goodness. You know Oak Essentials is legit because it was created by none other than our favorite brand ever, Jenny Kane. Oak Essentials is known for its simple approach to self-care with a lineup of foundational skincare staples made with high-quality ingredients that drive results. It aims to unlock healthy, glowing skin with decadent and hydrating ingredients that give you a luxe, dewy glow. I won't shut up about the Moisture Rich Balm. It's a nutrient-rich balm that supports collagen production and delivers serious hydration for a luminous glow. And a luminous glow indeed. The way my skin feels like butter after applying this balm. This balm will make you never want to wear makeup again. And you can apply generously during your night routine to lock in moisture as you dream. It's the definition of beauty sleep. Treat yourself or someone else this season. You sisters will get 15% off and a free organic honey-based restorative mask with their first order. Oh my God, what a deal. When you use code OKSIS15 at checkout. That's right. 15% off plus a gift with your first order at O-A-K-E-S-S-E-N-T-I-A-L-S.com. Promo code OKSIS15, OKAYSIS15. Go ahead and treat yourself. From luxurious skincare to meaningful self care, you deserve it. Welcome to OK Sis Podcast. Hi, sisters. I'm Maddie. And I'm Scout. And we are sisters IRL. I'm the older one. Yes, Scout. We know. We're cultural observers. And of curious minds. Get ready for sisterly banter while we chat about fixations, learnings, and personal growth. We promise it'll be a good time. As long as you don't get too loud, Mads. Welcome to the sisterhood. Hello, my fellow bibliophiles. It is Mads. And here we are on month seven of the OK Sis Book Club. Hopefully, if you're listening to this, you have read While We Were Dating by Jasmine Guillory, which is October's book club pick. But if you have not, do not worry because I'm going to quickly summarize the book before getting into my conversation with Jasmine herself. As you may know, the OK Sis Sisterhood has joined Geneva, which is an amazing community app where we share all of our book recommendations, get updated on the latest book club pick, and share thoughts on recent reads. I will be posting some discussion questions about while we were dating for all of us to connect virtually. There are so many brilliant women in there, so we'd love to have you in the community as well. The link to join can be found in the show notes and on our Instagram link in bio. October's book club pick is While We Were Dating by Jasmine Guillory. Ben Stevens has never bothered with serious relationships. He has plenty of casual dates to keep him busy, family drama he's trying to ignore, and his advertising job to focus on. When Ben lands a huge ad campaign featuring movie star Anna Gardner, however, it's hard to keep it purely professional. Anna is not just gorgeous and sexy. She's also down to earth and considerate, and he can't help flirting just a little. Anna Gardner is on a mission to make herself a household name, and this ad campaign will be a great distraction while she waits to hear if she's booked for her next movie. However, she didn't expect Ben Stevens to be her biggest distraction. She knows mixing business with pleasure never works out, but why not indulge in a harmless flirtation? But their lighthearted banter takes a turn for the serious when Ben helps Anna in a family emergency, and they reveal 
real truths about themselves to each other, truths they barely shared with those closest to them. When the opportunity comes to turn their real life fling into something more than the Hollywood spotlight, will Ben be content to play the background role in Anna's life and leave when the cameras stop rolling? Or could he be the leading man she needs to craft their own Hollywood ending? All right, without further ado, let's get into today's discussion on While We Were Dating with Jasmine Guillory. Hello. There we go. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Wait, let me turn the, oh, there we go. There's construction outside, so I'm trying to minimize any outside noise. Don't even worry. We get it. You're a busy gal. Also, like, your whole archive behind you, this is incredible. Thank you. It is the one thing that I've managed to keep like spotless yeah. in my apartment during <laughs> the pandemic. I love it. I quickly it. realized I needed some sort of background. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, you know what? I'll, I'll share my, the many, many <laughs> romance novels that I have written. Okay. First, I'm delighted to be speaking with you because I'm kind of fangirling over here. Oh, well, thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. You are romance novel royalty, okay? (laughs) And, you know, one of the contemporary romance authors that is truly paving the way for this genre. And obviously, we're here to talk about While We Were Dating, which I literally consumed in two sittings. It was so consuming and amazing. But I wanted to start off talking about the romance novel genre in particular. So... You know, I will admit, before I started getting into romance novels, there's this, you know, association that they're kind of like chiclet or somehow inferior to other genres. And then when I was introduced to books like yours and Helen Huang and Christina Lauren, and I felt this incredible escapism and beauty and love and just delight. And romance novels suddenly took on this whole new meaning for me. So... And it's definitely thanks to writers like you who have been shaping these stories and bringing, you know, joy to to readers. So I want to ask you specifically, what excites you about this genre and where it's headed? You know, I I mean, the things that I love about romance are that they're stories that really center women. I mean, I think, you know, yes, there this is not to say that there are not like stories about men and non-binary people in romance, but the pleasures of being a woman are celebrated in romance in the way that they are not in so much other literature, you know? And I think that is very specific to romance. I think in not just literature, like so much other media, being a woman is sort of a something to make fun of and a downside and like men will make fun of the woman in the room and or they, and there's often only one like romance that's not the case like there's lots of women in every book and her successes and her joys and her pleasures are things that are important to the genre and to the books and that makes such a big difference for me and that's what I love about writing romance I completely agree with you with um you know placing the female pleasure and empowerment at the forefront. It's something that's often ridiculed and downplayed. And I think specifically with romance, when I started reading it, I just was, I was enamored with how much, you know, empowerment I felt as a result after whether it's, you know, sexually, whether it's, you know, in my career, there is this common theme in in the romance novel genre today where it just feels a lot more empowering to women. And I I love that. So what's your uh, relationship with romance novels? Like, have you been reading them for a long time? How did you fall into this? Yeah, it's been a sort of on and off throughout my life thing. I first really started reading romance when I was in, I was in summer camp, but I can't remember if it was like 
maybe it's somewhere between seventh and eighth grade. I can't, it was somewhere around there. And my roommate that summer, like brought a whole bunch of romance novels with her. And so I read a bunch of them then, but then I didn't like read a lot until like much later in life. I think, you know, I tend to read like the books that my mom had around the house and my mom didn't really read a lot of romance or the books that I read when I got went to the library. And at that point, you know, I was like reading a lot of young adult and stuff. And so it wasn't really until like I was in my 30s, I think, that I kind of went back to romance. I was recommended some books by a few people and then read a few and then just sort of dove right in. And I think I kind of shortly after I really started reading romance again, I was going through a really hard time in my life. And I think romance novels are great for that. Because like going in, you know, there's going to be a happy ending. And like there are really times when we need that. And I plowed through romance novels, you know, in those next few years, I was like reading a ton from my library or anything I could borrow from friends or, you know, anything I could like find online or whatever. And that was really what like sort of got me back into romance for good. Yeah. It reminds me of something I I also had Christina and Lauren on the podcast and they had said something about, you know, people think that writing a romance novel is easy because it's, you know, just butterflies or whatever. And there's this happy ending at the end, but it's actually harder because you have to go through this tension and this journey throughout the entire thing in order to get to that happy ending and get that satisfaction. So it's kind of like the readers know it's going to end a certain way, but how do you kind of create that journey to get there and it's especially while we were dating I did not see as many of the turns that you placed in there especially with the moment that Anna was going to kind of manipulate Ben to fake this relationship I really didn't think she was going to tell him I also did not think he was going to be okay with it like I thought that was the end of the book like okay he's gonna get mad and then they'll get back together but there was this amazing insight into who he was and the type of you know distractions and things that he kind of went through with his life and this self-awareness that he had but first I want to talk about Anna and her anxiety so we discover in while we were dating that she deals with a lot of anxiety due to her rise to fame and she's a bit ashamed even to tell close friends and family Um, And on this podcast, we obviously talk a lot about mental health and destigmatizing the conversation around it. So why was that important for you to include anxiety in Anna's story? I mean, you know, I wrote this book during the pandemic, right? I had planned to start writing it. I kind of already knew certain things about the book. It changed a lot (laughs) from what I kind of knew at the beginning, but I planned to start writing it in March of 2020. I always like kind of take a little break between books and So that, you know, I had sort of my break in February. I was going to a writer's retreat. I was the writer in residence at a writer's retreat in March. I was like, this will be the perfect time to start outlining it. And then I will start writing on April 1st. I like to give myself like deadlines to start. (laughs) It helps me. And then like that writer's, like the day we all got to that writer's retreat was like the day the world all fell apart. Like we're all sitting around at dinner, like sitting outside in California, it's beautiful. We're drinking wine and chatting and someone looks at their phone and it's like, um, uh, the NBA just- um, some, I think something's going on. <laughs> like uh, Broadway just shut down. Tom Hanks has coronavirus. Like it was that day, you know, where everything. And so I was frozen that whole weekend and I just sort of like made myself try to like journal and like 
brainstorm a little bit about what I was going to do for this book, but I really like couldn't really think about it. And so I did not start writing on April 1st, <laughs> but I made myself start writing on May 1st because I was like, well, you know, you have to do something here <laughs> other than like sit frozen in your house and like scroll through your phone. And at that point, like all I could think about was mental health. Like that's what we were all talking about. That's what we were all thinking about. Everybody, like everybody was anxious. And so it just felt natural to have that as a part of this book. And I also think like, it is sort of funny to me that it took six books for me to have like an actual therapist character in a book because my whole family, other than me, are therapists. <laughs> and so they were like, finally. <laughs> but yeah. I love, I mean, talking about therapy, um, we find out that Ben is in therapy and Anna, you know, praises him because of this, you know, cultural shame around black men and therapy. Was that, why was that something you wanted to, you know, dive into and shed light on? You know, what's funny is that was sort of accidental because Ben was a character from one of my previous books, The Wedding Party. He, his brother was the main character in that book. And at one point in that book, his brother says something he's sort of complaining about his brother and says like my brother always talks about going to therapy and then when I was writing this book I was like oh no <laughs> I, already said, I already said Ben is in therapy I have to figure out why and but at that point already decided on that Anna's anxiety and all that and I was like all right well I guess we're going all in <laughs> with mental health in this book like it just sort of I mean it was accidental but it all kind of made sense when I really started thinking about it and so it was really kind of fun to kind of dive in to those therapy scenes and think about like why Ben had decided to go but then also what he was still holding back yeah yeah and I mean I I empathize with him a lot in terms of the distractions and the you know sweeping things under the rug and kind of you know not confronting things head on and it's interesting because I've been in therapy for a long time but I still see those patterns so it was it was interesting for him to go through this experience but then he was like scared to tell his therapist things which I also feel that it's like I don't want to you know disappoint her and so I want my therapist to like me and there is all those types of themes around therapy which I felt so connected to the book touches a lot on inclusivity and representation in Hollywood specifically. Anna is a black plus sized actress and she has to work, you know, five times as hard to make it in the industry. She's ruthlessly ambitious. So it makes sense that she is so, you know, driving towards this one role that she wants. And it's just, you can, you can feel it in her whole body that she's like, this is something I have to work five times harder to achieve and get, and I will do anything to get it. Why this injustice that black women face in Hollywood? Like, why make a whole book about it? And have you had certain conversations around it with other other black actresses or things of that nature that it kind of inspired you to do this? You know, I sort of actually backed into that also. I mean, I think because I had I had been as a character in a previous book and I knew I wanted to write a book about him. And so I was really thinking about who would pair well with Ben, like what kind of person, what kind of character would I sort of put up against him? Because he is a very strong character and I knew he would need someone who would sort of like challenge him in a lot of ways. And that's how I thought of Anna. Like I was like, oh, she's going to be famous. Like it has to be someone who's kind of a big deal and a big personality. And so once I decided that the main female character of this book was going to be an actress, then that all had to obviously be part of it. Because, you know, if she was going to be a Black woman in Hollywood, she was going to have to deal with all of this. This was going to be a part of her life. And so, you know, I have, like, sort of paid enough attention to, I mean, 
partly paid enough attention to what goes on in Hollywood and partly like this is, you know, what professional black women deal with in for everything. And so I knew it was going to have to be part of her story. And so like that just sort of fell into place as soon as I kind of figured out exactly what kind of character she was. I knew that was going to be an element to the story I told about her. Do you have a real celebrity in mind that you based off of her or no? Ever since having a baby, I've been extremely conscious about what I spend my money on and which products I use. And clothing is no different. I want my wardrobe to be sustainable, good quality, and timeless. You have to be talking about Whimsy and Row, right? Whimsy and Row is an LA-grown, eco-conscious brand born out of the love for cute, comfy, and classic styles. Every piece is made by women for women. Quality goods, local production, natural and organic fabrics. Yes, please give me all the linens. Just like OK Sister, Whimsy and Row is based on the idea that women are multidimensional. There's a balance of flirty feminine and minimal masculine in all of our wardrobes, and Whimsy and Row means exactly that. From special occasions to everyday effortless styles, their clothing is meant to mix and match and wear on repeat. I have been wearing their Kira pant in black linen probably three times a week. Sisters, if you've been listening to this podcast or following me on Instagram, you know that Whimsy and Rose Kira Pant in Black Linen is a sisterhood staple at this point. Founder Rachel Temko created the brand back in 2014 because she wanted to create an approachable and inclusive brand that cared for the people and the planet first. Get the full Whimsy experience IRL at their Venice location or shop online at whimsyandrow.com. Their store in Venice is so cute, I can attest. And if you're in LA, I highly recommend stopping by. They are always putting on these amazing community events. They just launched their spring summer collection and we will be living in it all summer long. Visit their website, whimsyandrow.com. That's W-H-I-M-S-Y-A-N-D-R-O-W.com and use code OKSISTER for 15% off. Sisters, my goal these days is to always look put together when I leave the house. Nothing over the top or super dressed up or anything like that. I just want to look put together and feel good about what I'm wearing in an effortless yet refined way. When I look at my closet every single morning and think about what I can wear that is chic and intentional, I usually end up grabbing one of my Jenny Kane sweaters and I always end up loving the way I look and the way I feel in them. You all know, sisters, that when I envision my highest self, I am wearing Jenny Kane. Their sweaters are the quintessential must-have item. I cannot stop wearing my Marina set. I throw it on and immediately feel like I'm in a Nancy Myers movie. Like I could just walk on the beach in Santa Barbara. It is the coastal grandma aesthetic. My favorite Jenny Kane sweater right now is their everyday sweater in taupe. This is the definition of a staple that every woman must have in their wardrobe. Sisters, trust me on this one. I wear it with leggings, oversized jeans and a little kitten heel or a silk maxi skirt. Legit, Mads and I are so obsessed with wearing our Johnny Kane sweaters that we've literally shown up both wearing the same sweater once, the white alpaca cocoon crew neck, which is this deliciously oversized sweater. Yeah, that moment takes the cake. Both of us walking in with our matching Jenny Kane sweaters. We're obsessed. Can't take them off. Wearing them every day. The type of staples that save your outfit. That is what I love about their entire collection. It is truly the art of simplicity. They focus on comfort, quality, and timeless designs. So you can curate a wardrobe that never goes out of style. Find your new uniform at JennyKane.com. 
our listeners get 15% off your first order when you use code OKSIS at checkout. That's 15% off your first order, J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com, promo code OKSIS, O-K-A-Y-S-I-S. Let getting dressed be one less thing to worry about. No, I never, I can never think like that. Like I always kind of, as soon as I come up with a character, I can kind of picture them in my mind, but they're always like a little bit of a lot of different people. I mean, I did pay attention obviously to so many of things that black actresses have talked about. I read, you know, memoirs and stuff like that, but, but Anna is, was very much her own person. I love that. Okay, so we had to talk about the sex scenes. I can't believe we like spent this much time and we haven't even mentioned them. So what I noticed specifically with your books is most romance novels, there's obviously a tension building and it builds up to like this one miraculous sex scene at the end or like two at the end. You obviously don't subscribe to that philosophy, which I love because there were so many sex scenes just throughout the entire book and but something I love about them is that each one serves a purpose it's not just kind of like thrown in there just because you know it really does serve a purpose so what is your process for writing these and how do you make them not cringy or cheesy like there is just such an art to the way you write them and then time and time again each one feels so different but it again it progresses the story in such a beautiful way Thank you so much. I think While We Were Dating definitely has the most sex scenes of all of my books, um, which is not really intentional. But I mean, I think it all sort of goes back to the characters, right? Like I write each scene for who the people are that I'm writing about. And so this was Ben and Anna's story. And this is kind of the way that I had to tell it. And once I kind of figured out who each of them was and what their relationship would be like, it only made sense to tell their story in this way. And so every time I write a sex scene, it's really about who these characters are and why they're coming together in general and why specifically they're coming together in that moment. And that really helps me kind of figure out exactly how how it all happens. Yeah. I mean, there is the whole theme of using sex as a distraction, um, kind of tying back to the mental health. It's interesting because... Both of them struggle with this, with this like distraction type of, you know, coping mechanism. But Anna challenges Ben to get out of his shell and then Ben challenges Anna to get out of his shell. But then I'm, you know, especially when I think about that drive to Palm Springs that they do in the very beginning and she, you know, opens up about her anxiety and tries to, you know, downplay it or whatever. He's like, no, 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 don't do that. And that's not how it works to shove things under the rug. But then I was like, wait, but Ben, you're doing that. Like, why are, and it's this interesting play on we, with our loved ones, with our friends and family, we give them advice that we probably can't take ourselves and that we can't internalize. Was that a decision you made? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think like Ben and Anna recognize themselves in one another. And so they understand each other very well. They're just not good at taking their own advice right. frequently, <laughs> which I think is true for all exactly. of us. Exactly. It's so true. Okay. So I want to do some rapid fire before we wrap up. I say this is rapid fire, but then it ends up just being like a whole other discussion. So take that with what you will. <laughs> what is literary success look like to you? Is it, you know, the number of books that you've created? Is it the community? Is it the, you know, rise in fame? Like what specifically about literary success intrigues you? 
You know, I've had to really think about that because I think so much of what other people think of as literary success is something that you have, you yourself have no control over, right? Like the number of books you sell or getting on this bestseller list or whatever, none of that is under my control. And so for me, I think success is like being able to keep writing books and feeling good about everything I write, you know, like being proud of every book I put out into the world. And so that is really my goal for my career is to be able to keep writing and to be happy with my writing. I love that. And I think just with how many books you've written, it's just how do you keep it fresh, if you will? Like, how do you not fall back into certain like tropes? Or is there, you know, do you have like a little list of like all the like romance novel tropes? And you're like, okay, this one I'm gonna, you know, tackle next. Like, because there's obviously so many, but it's, you know, how do you continue to freshen up on each book that you write? I think partly I do try to give myself breaks, which has been really hard over this you know, past 18 months, because it's been hard to take breaks from anything, right? Like, right. But I think writing can get overwhelming at times, like, because you're just sort of in that bubble. And that's all you think about. And so being able to like, get out into the world and get a fresh perspective on life and people, because I think at core, like books, especially romance novels are about people. And so I want the people I write about to feel new and fresh every time. And that I think is the key more than like, writing in a different trope or going to a different place or whatever. It's making sure that each character feels like a real person. And that's the thing that I really try to work on. Love that. Okay, what is a book either you read recently or even, you know, in your whole reading career that you feel like was underappreciated or didn't get as much like recognition as you believe it should have? Let's see. That's a great question. One that I read this year, or did I read it this year? I mean, I don't know. It all blends together. But one that came out this year that I really loved, it was Honey Girl um, by Morgan Rogers, a romance novel about a woman in her 20s who is sort of graduating from grad school and really trying to figure out her life and like has the accidental Vegas marriage. But it's really the opposite of the kind of book that you think of with like that starts with the accidental Vegas marriage. And I just, I found it so touching and lovely and thoughtful. And I really love that one. Love it. Okay. Adding, adding to the list. All right. How do you select the names of your characters? Do you have like a little baby name book or something? Or is it just like things you experience in the world? So it depends. For the two main characters, I have to really come up with their names before I start writing. And so I usually kind of go through names and think about it and brainstorm. And then I will kind of sit on them for a while and like look at them and think like, are these two names ones that I want to live with for the next, you know? And then once they feel right, then I can really start brainstorming the book and writing. Because at that point, I already know a little bit about the book and the characters, but I need to like, does this name fit with who I want to write about? But then for like side characters, sometimes it's just like, oh, this sounds right. And I grab it. And then later on, I have to fix it. Like my second book, The Proposal, I had a different name for uh, Nick's boyfriend who proposed to her at the beginning of the book. I had a different name for him for like most of the first draft. And then I realized that it like was different. It was not right. And I had to like 
go back and change it. But so sometimes like as I'm writing, I think like, no, no, that name does not fit the character that I'm writing about. So there's a lot of brainstorming going on. Sometimes I will text friends like, what's a good name for, uh, you know, and we'll come up with something. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I love that. I mean, you mentioned something about and we, we talked about it earlier that you always include a character from another book of yours and it doesn't necessarily, it's not like a sequel and it's not, you know, a through line. So you can read them out of order, but what was the strategy behind that? Why did you decide to do that? I mean, obviously when Nick shows up in, in this book, I was like, wait, I know this girl. And so it's, it's kind of a nice little nod to your past uh, stories, but is it just something just to kind of bring it all together or what was the strategy there? You know, there it was not a lot of strategy. It was it was not okay. I mean, it was for for the first like three books. You know, for when I wrote the wedding date, there's a scene that happens like about a third of the way through with the two main characters who end up being the two main characters for the wedding party when they like kind of first meet on the page, and that's when I knew that I wanted to write their book. And then I knew I wanted to write Carlos's book. So like that, I kind of all kind of figured out as I wrote The Wedding Date. Yeah. For the others, they all, it it was just like, I wrote a character and then I was like, I want to write a book about this person. And then it all just sort of flowed from there. But it definitely was not on purpose (laughs) that I wrote six books that are all. Yeah, I can imagine if you're creating this world and creating these characters, like, you fall in love with them, you feel comfortable with them, and then you kind of, you know, expand on their story. It makes total sense. What did you edit out of while we were dating? You know, surprisingly very little. Like this, while we were dating was probably my tightest first draft of all of my books. I tend to write like long sprawling first drafts where I edit out like 30,000 words and this book I didn't really I think I figured out who Ben and Anna both were pretty early on and that really helped me figure out a lot of the book like there were certain scenes that I changed a lot of but I didn't like kind of at the beginning there's always a lot of I'm fumbling my way through and kind of figuring out the characters and so there were certain scenes that I think I wrote early on that I don't even remember because I sort of wrote them and I was like yeah that's not right but but I kind of had to write something at that point and move on but then I got about halfway through and really understood the book and so then there was a lot of like fixing and tightening but not a lot of editing stuff out actually I was really worried and you talking about the sex scenes I was actually worried that my editor would want me to cut with some of them because I was like there's a lot of sex in here is she gonna be okay with that but luckily she's not (laughs) I love it I know my philosophy is the more sex scenes the better I think (laughs) I think it's great I also had Helen Huang on the podcast and she was like the first draft of the heart principle was basically porn like I just had to like edit out like (laughs) I was like why did you do that that's really rude like give us the first draft okay what was your hardest scene to write the last scene Um, ending this book so I really psyched myself out is what I did when I got when I was writing the first draft of this book and like the second half of the first draft flowed really fast and there was a point when I was like almost done with the first draft where I thought oh I really should never have thought this it's messed me up for months I was like oh in all of my other books the last line when I write it in the first draft has stayed the last line. Never should have realized that because then I wrote the last scene and I was like, nope, 
no, that's wrong. That's terrible. It's bad. And then I tried to fix it. And I was like, nope, that, that's still not it. And then essentially, I don't recommend this as a general strategy, but it's worse for this. I was like, because I knew that I was, I knew that I was just psyching myself out of like writing this last scene. And so I was like, I just have to get a little drunk and write it so that I stop overthinking it. And then I did that and I wrote the last chapter and I was like, all right, okay, that's better. And then I read it when I was not any drunk anymore. And I was like, yes, you're right. That's better. And that ended up being the last chapter. But I didn't come up with what the actual last scene is, the epilogue. That was originally supposed to, I did not have an epilogue originally for this book when I turned it in. And I didn't come up with the epilogue to it until like right before I turned in edits. I was like, I'd been working on edits for the book. I was almost done. And then like a tiny thing that both my editor had said, and then one of a friend of mine who'd read the book had said, all sort of came together in my mind. And I was like, oh, and I wrote the epilogue. I I think I was like about to turn in the book and I wrote the whole epilogue in like, I don't know, two hours and then like spent a day of fixing it and then turned it in. But the end of this book really was the thing that came slowest. Yeah, I'm trying to think like what the book would be if we didn't see that epilogue. I mean, yeah, no, I love it. I really felt like in the end, it was perfect for the book. And I'm so happy with it. But it it took a while to get there. For sure. (laughs) And it's yeah, it's interesting, because the whole time that we you know, we realized that Ben and Theo have a sister and, you know, the book was getting towards the end. And I was like, wait, we haven't resolved, you know, this part. So, but I'm glad that we didn't have to see them meeting her. I don't know if that was necessarily necessary for us to see, but it was more so the coming to terms with the fact that he finally told his brother, like that was more of the moral for me than actually seeing the meeting. But yeah, the epilogue was so beautiful because you see the four of them, you see this, you know, there's such a support system for one another. So it was, it was a beautiful way to end it. But I did love the ending, the ending of the real part, not the epilogue where he's like, let's go for a drive. Like, oh, just my heart. It's like a little flutter, you know? (laughs) I love it. Okay, what is next for you, Miss Jasmine Guillory, romance novel extraordinaire? Are you working on something else? What can we expect? My next book is By the Book. It comes out next May. It will be published by Disney Books, and it is a Beauty and the Beast retelling. Wow. Belle's story. Um, We have Black Belle, so I'm very excited about it. Um, Julie, this is a series that... Disney is putting out that's like contemporary retellings of princesses. And so Julie Murphy did the first one that uh, was Cinderella. And so this one is the Bell story. So I'm very excited about it. Oh my gosh. Oh God. Okay. That is going to be incredible. We're so excited for that. Thank you so much for doing this and being here. Can you tell everyone where they can follow you? I mean, you're a great Instagram follow. I'm just going to say you're delightful. So much. I am on Instagram at Jasmine Picks and on my website is jasminegillery.com and I update well not as often as I should but with (laughs) book information and lots of other fun stuff (laughs) we love it all right sisters you can follow us at okay podcast and thank you so much thank you hey 
Hey there, I'm Dr. Tracy Dalglish, clinical psychologist and couples therapist. If there's one thing I know from both my personal and clinical experience, it's that we are really good at comparing ourselves to others. We tend to get stuck in the unhelpful narratives that play on repeat in our minds, and we struggle to set boundaries and create healthy love. Each week, I bring you clinical knowledge and evidence-based research, experiences of sitting in the therapist chair, and being a wife, mother, and business owner to talk about everyday issues we all face to help you change the dialogue in your life. Tune in every Thursday to I'm Not Your Shrink wherever you listen to podcasts. While I'm not your shrink, I am still human and I'm excited for us to be in our vulnerability and humanness together.